0: Hey, well, good morning and welcome to Tri-Cities Church. It's so exciting to see you all here, especially some new faces here with us. Hey, if this is your first time visiting with us. We, we welcome you to Tri-Cities Church and glad that you uh, chose to worship with us this morning. Uh, this is a, uh, our family Sunday. Every fifth Sunday at Tri-Cities, uh, we do what we call family Sunday. and it's really, uh, It really has a, a number of different uh, reasons, but one thing we, we are just so thankful uh, for all the people that volunteer downstairs with our children... Uh, there's a whole operation. If, if, you didn't, if you didn't put two and two together by seeing all the kids up here just a little bit ago, know that there's a, a whole operation going on downstairs every Sunday because we believe that God has uh, equipped us and called us to help children grow up in the ways of the Lord. And so for all of you that serve downstairs and, and help out with the children, we're glad that you have this opportunity to have this break on this Sunday and we applaud you in your service. Also, kids, welcome upstairs to church. Hey, I want you to know that when your kids, when you're downstairs learning, your parents are upstairs learning as well, and so your whole family is able to grow up in the Lord. And so this, this morning we are continuing. As you know, we've been in a series studying through First Peter, and we're in First Peter, starting in chapter. Uh, uh, we're in chapter three, verse seventeen this morning. And so uh, I have a short story that I want to share with the kids. And so all kids that want to, uh, can you just come on up? And I want to share a short story with you um, that's from the Bible. That's very important for you to hear. You can. Mm -hmm. Oh, leave, leave your leave your clipboards in your seat, and just you can just come up. You can sit. No, 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 no. Stay down here. Stay down here. Stay down here. Stay down. You can sit right here on the floor. Somebody wants to preach. Somebody wants to preach. All right. Well, I have a really important story that I want to share with you. And, and uh, here's, the, here's the thing that I, that I need. I, I need for you all to do me a favor because this story is so important and your parents need to know this story. And they don't always remember all their Bible stories, but don't tell them I said that. But what I need you to do is listen very closely to this story so that you can remind them of it when, when they get home, right? When you get home with them, you can remind them of this story because this story is going to help them, <laughs> this story is going to help them understand the sermon better and it's going to help them grow in the Lord. So you're helping your whole family grow in the Lord. So this story is a story of a guy named Noah. Anybody ever heard of Noah before? It's a popular Bible story. You may have heard it before, but it's always good to hear this story again. In fact, I read the Bible stories over and over and over again because every time I read them, God shows me something different in the same story. Now, this story of Noah, it took place a long time ago, way before any of us were ever born, way before any of us were thought of. I mean, thousands and thousands of years ago, there was this this guy that lived named Noah. And the Bible says this. They say he was a preacher of righteousness, meaning he did good things and he found favor in God's sight. But you know, his friends and his neighbors, they didn't always do good things. In fact, they were doing more bad than they were doing good. And they started doing more and more bad, and they were getting in trouble, and they were hurting people, and they weren't listening to their parents, and they weren't obeying the law, and they were just doing bad, bad things. And God was really sad by this. God was hurt and sad, and he just, he, just, he had created us, God created us, and he created us in his image, and we reflect God. When the way we live our lives, we're created to reflect God, and so these people were not reflecting God the way God intended to be reflected. And so God said to Noah, he came to Noah, and he said, it's going to rain. And it's going to rain like never before. Now, for us, when it rains, some of us play in the rain. Anybody ever played in the rain? Y'all like it? Yeah, all right, yeah. I like to play in the rain, too. We got to have a a play in the rain party one one day. Uh, I like to play in the rain. But God told Noah, it's going to rain, and it's going to rain like you've never seen before. In fact, he said, it's going to flood. That means it's not going to stop raining and the water is just going to rise up. So he told Noah, hey, build this boat and I'm going to give you instructions. So he gave him instructions to build this boat. It was 450 feet long. It was 75 feet wide. It was 45 feet tall. This was a massive boat that Noah built. And God gave him all the instructions and equipped him to be able to build this boat. Now, in biblical times... I know none of you are afraid of water, but in biblical times, a lot of people were afraid of water, especially adults, because they just didn't know what was lurking in the water. They didn't have to understand. They didn't have submarines like we have today. Anybody ever been on a submarine? Uh, 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 I've never been on a submarine either, right? Um, But they didn't have submarines like we have today, so they couldn't go underwater. They didn't have goggles and snorkeling masks they couldn't dive underwater and see what was under there and because they didn't know what was under the water they were afraid of the deep but you know who isn't afraid of the deep God. Right. Somebody said it. God isn't afraid of the deep because God is totally in control in whatever situation we find ourselves in. Even when we're afraid, God is in control. And so Noah started building this boat just like God told him because he trusted God and believed that God was fully in control and that God would save him from the flood. Well, he finished that boat and he got two of every animal that was living on the whole face of the earth so two dogs two donkeys two cats two mice two snakes he got a male and female of all the animals right two giraffes two elephants imagine how big that boat the ark they called it imagine how big that boat had to be and they all got in there and he shut the door and it started to rain and as the water got higher the ark that big boat began to float and Noah's faith was stronger because God took care of him God provided for him in this difficult scary time you know when we learn read this story there's a lot of things we could learn from it but I think the biggest thing we see is that when we obey God, God is with us in a special way. And in a special way, God protects us. He takes care of us. God has your back. Remember that. God has your Can we say that together? God has your back. Right? When you obey God, God does what? God has your back. All right, let's say it real loud. When you obey God, God has your back. All right, because God is with you, and he protects you in a special way, just like he did Noah, and he saved them from the flood. And you know what he did? He gave them a rainbow in the sky to remind them that he would never do that again, and that for the rest of their lives, that he would have their back. He would take care of them. So you got uh, coloring pictures and uh, uh, diagrams and stuff with you at your seat. And so as you go to your seat, remember that, that when you obey God, God will protect you, and God has your back. All right. All right. Well, that's such a special story, and I hope your kids uh, do remind you of that story. In fact, you can, you can find the story of Noah and the flood Uh, in Genesis chapter 6. And it's just a wonderful story for you to spend some time reading and reflecting over. Um, Because here's the thing about biblical stories. As we read them and as we study them, God reveals to us something about him. And sometimes even you might have questions that come up when you read a story, especially if you think hard about the story of Noah. There may be some questions that come up. Um, Don't let those questions deter you, but let them uh, uh, cause you to dive deeper in the scriptures so that you can learn the ways of the Lord. Well, let's pray, and then we'll get into our message for this morning. God, we give you thanks uh, this morning that you give us this opportunity to study the scriptures and that you, um, that you give us this opportunity to tell stories like the story of Noah. And God, we are so encouraged um, because you, you've called us to have faith like little children. And as we hear these little children say, God has your back, Um, we see that faith rising up in them. And so, God, I just pray that in times when our faith seems to wane and be struggling, God, that you will strengthen our faith like you do for little children. They'll believe, that we'll believe in you, and that we will continue to pursue you all the days of our life. It's in your son Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, well, this morning, the reason why we wanted to look at that story was because this morning what... Peter does, as we continue our series uh, through the book of Peter, what Peter does is he draws an analogy between baptism and the flood, right? He looks at these two stories almost in an odd way. When I was reading it, I kept going, "Why why did Peter even bring this story of Noah into what he was writing? Now, you remember he was writing a letter to the early church, and he was trying to teach them what it means to be the church, how they could live out their lives in a way that honors God. And so he draws this analogy between uh, Noah and, and the flood and baptism. And what he's showing us very clearly in Scripture um, is that um, He's showing us that, that God is, is with us and that God's saving power is at work in both of these stories, right? That God's saving power is at work in both of these stories. Sometimes I look at the Bible and I say, hey, why do we have all these Old Testament stories? And why is all this recorded for us? And why, do we only, why don't we just know the stories of Jesus? Isn't that enough to save us? Um, but what the scriptures show us is that God has been in the work of saving people for a long time. And this is part of the character of God, is that God saves people who love him and trust him and put their faith in him. In fact, let's look at that scripture in 1 Peter. Uh, I'm going to begin in chapter 3, verse, uh, verse 17. Listen to what it, what it says. Um, uh, yeah, verse, verse 17. It says, for it is better if it, it, it and I, we stopped in, we stopped at 16. Oh, I'll start in 17. We'll, we'll just do that. We'll, we'll do as planned. I think that's what's on the slides, yeah. All right, so let's, let's read this. Uh, for it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Y'all remember the church in the first century was suffering all kinds of uh, hardships and struggles, really for being believers. Next week, we're going to see that for sure, right, just for wearing the name of Christ that the church was suffering in a way like we will never experience. So it says it's better if you if if it is god's will to suffer for doing good rather than evil for christ also suffered once for sin the righteous that's jesus the righteous for the unrighteous that's us to bring you to god he was put to death in the body but made alive in the spirit then it says this after being made alive he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits to those who were disobedient long ago when god waited patiently In the days of Noah, right, he brings this Noah story in. So he says Jesus died and he went and proclaimed his victory, right, to people long ago. So people long ago know now that Jesus is victorious over sin and death. And then it says, and those people were disobedient in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. And this is what it says about this ark. In it, only a few people, eight in all, that's Noah and his family, his sons, he had three sons and their wives, Eight and all were saved through water. And listen to what it says. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is, and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, powers, and submission to him. And so what Peter wants us to see is that long ago um, with Noah, that God saved this righteous minority. It was um, a, uh, Noah and his family, that Noah and his family, the eight of them, God... Uh, 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 saved them with this ark that he gave him instructions to build that he was saw that noah was righteous that he was pursuing the ways of god that he loved the way of god that he was placing his faith in the way of god that he believed um that, that god was the way to life and god did this right and this is what he does for us right is he keeps his promises so with noah noah believed that god was the way to life right and and what happened uh, it proved, it played itself out in his life, right? It, it proved to be true as he continued to trust God and live for God and obey God. Now, everyone around him was not putting their hope and trust in God. And so Noah and his family, they were the minority. They were the ones that were trying to do the right thing, even when nobody else was. And and we all know, and we'll get back to this a little bit later in the message, but we all know how difficult it can be, right, Not just for children, even for adults. We know how difficult it can be when no one around us is doing the right thing. And it seems like people are constantly doing wrong and getting away with it. And here we are trying to do right and we seem to be suffering for doing good. And listen to what that scripture said, even if you go back to where I uh, began in verse 17, for it is better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good rather than evil. It was hard for Noah to do the right thing when everyone was doing wrong, but he was trusting the way of the Lord, and the way of the Lord proved itself in his life as God saved him uh, with the ark. God saved him through the flood. And so just like God was saving a righteous minority in the church, the early church, first century, when Peter's writing to them, he's showing them that God is saving this righteous minority then in their day as well. That God, that the church was, um, um, the church, the first century church, they, they really felt the burden of being the righteous minority In their day, because everyone else was not listening to the way of the Lord. And they were listening and hearing, responding, and being baptized as a sign that they were not just following the way of the Lord, but that God was actually saving them. That God was doing something powerful in their lives to save them, just as He did. With Noah. Now, here's the thing um, because we read this story and we read um, the Bible often and we, we try to place it into modern times. And there's some interpretive challenges here uh, because the church in America is not the persecuted minority like the early church, right? Uh, sometimes we, uh, we hear that said and we hear people say um, that it's hard being a Christian. And I'm not going to deny that. It is hard being a Christian, but we're not the persecuted minority like the early church. The early church was being uh, abused, they were being arrested. They were being, some were even being killed because of their faith in Jesus Christ, because they were doing the right thing. And we don't experience that. And I, and I think we got to step back anytime we look at the Bible and we hear stories of people that suffered in that kind of way. We got to step back. And even today when we hear stories of people in other countries that are suffering because of their faith, we got to step back and spend a moment thanking God that we are safe, right? That we can gather in places like this, right? That our kids can stand on stages and sing songs of praise to God without fear of persecution, without fear of shutting this down, without fear of us being abused or rejected because of our faith. In fact, what we see in statistics is that I think it's like 75, and they're kind of all over the place, but 75 might be on the lower end, especially with us living in the South. Uh, 75% of Americans identify themselves as believers, right? So we can't say that we're the persecuted minority. But here's the deal, right? Um, there's There's this seriousness of faith that we see in believers in the first century. We see followers of Jesus Christ who were actually followers of Jesus Christ. That listen to what Jesus said when he says, Whoever wants to be my disciple, right, they must carry their own cross. They must die to themselves daily. Right? They they heard that, and there was this sense of seriousness to their faith um, which is getting lost in our nation where Christians are in the majority. In other words, we can wear the name of Christ and easily flow with, our, with the trend of our society wearing the name of Christ only, right? Going through the motions of Christianity, right? Coming to church, being baptized, saying the same written prayer every night. Right, We can do that and get away wearing the name of Christ and not actually be growing in our faith, not actually be telling the story of Jesus and making disciples, not actually be doing the hard work when no one else is doing right, still standing for what is right. In our society where Christians are the majority, it's easy for us to fly under the radar and not take our faith seriously. But here's the deal. When we choose to take our faith seriously... When we choose to actually allow faith to bear fruit in our lives, we will um, we will feel, and we can we can feel we we will feel. Let me just put it that way. We will feel the kind of discomfort and isolation that being a righteous minority will bring upon us. Right? We will feel the experience of, um, in some settings, right. I uh, feel this, the experience of I am the only one in my office, right, who's committed to doing what's right. Everyone else, right, they, they leave early, they skip out, right, they clock in and go, uh, go to McDonald's or Starbucks, hang out with their Frappuccinos, come back, clock out like they've been there working, right? Uh, and, and they're getting away with it and getting paid for drinking a Frappuccino, that kind of deal, Right? Um and we just know that's not right, but everyone else is doing it, right but but choosing not to can make you feel like the, the minority like you're in, like you're like no one else is doing it, and you can feel that feeling of discomfort and isolation, right, that telling the truth, right when you know everyone tells. Little lies and gets away with them, right? Everybody comes up with these little stories to get themselves out of a situation. But when we take our faith seriously, right, we become part of that righteous minority and we experience that discomfort and that isolation. And so, yeah, we're not the minority persecuted church that we see in the first century. But whenever we take our faith seriously, that experience becomes, to some degree, not to the degree that the first century church experienced, but to some degree, that experience becomes a reality for us and we began to feel the weight of that experience upon us and what the bible is calling us to do because here's the deal that discomfort and isolation that we feel that voice in our head that says well everybody's doing it and they're getting away with it well god forgives right isn't god God gonna forgive or overlook that voice in our head that's saying those kind of things that temptation that we're experiencing to do what is wrong even though we know it's wrong and not right right that that um that, that voice in our head, what it does is it stagnates sanctification. Um, sanctification is a biblical word. It, it simply means this progressive work of becoming more like Christ. Right? It's this work of us becoming more Christ-like in our actual lives. It, said, it means this, that we, we put our hope and faith in Jesus Christ and that begins a journey throughout the rest of our lives where our lives are transformed daily so that more and more day by day from the point we put our faith in Christ to the day we die, our lives are beginning to look more like Christ. That's sanctification. It's a progressive work of God and man to make us more free from sin, right? Doing the wrong thing and more like Christ in our actual lives. And that feeling of discomfort and isolation that we feel, right? In our society, when we're trying to do the right thing, and it feels like nobody else is trying to do the right thing, that feeling stagnates sanctification. It stops us from making progress towards Christ-likeness. Because that voice in our head, in fact, I heard someone say once, sometimes the biggest enemy is the inner me, Right? That voice in our head sometimes is talking us out of doing the right thing. Sometimes the biggest enemy is we're being defeated in our own heads, in our own minds, that there we're losing the war against sin and the way of God, right? We're, we are not following God because we're defeating ourselves in our own mind. But what the scriptures are doing and what Peter is doing in this passage, which I believe is so beautiful, is he's showing the early church to press into that discomfort and isolation, right? Don't try to avoid it. Don't try to run from it. Don't fall in with the crowd. It was, it, it was. Um, it was uh, so when I was a child, I had um, uh, it, it, children experience this. Maybe I shouldn't say this. When I was when I was a child, I I, um, I, I used to think that adults like had figured it all out, right? Um, that they that they never did wrong, right? Because I'm like they can't do it wrong right they're, they're adults they're telling you what the right thing to do but here's the deal that that peer pressure follows us throughout all of life the pressure to do what is not good for us what is not right and what does not honor god follows us throughout all of life it makes us uncomfortable to do the right thing in every situation and and uh, the early church had no choice but to press into that discomfort, and Peter's challenging us to press into that discomfort as well. Look back at what he says. I'm going to pick up um, um, in verse 21 in, in Peter, First Peter, chapter three, verse 21. It says, "This water symbolizes baptism." that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers and submission to him. Verse. I'm going to pick up in, in, in verse chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin and so there's this attitude that peter's trying to show us like he almost backtracks he's like it's like okay this water in the flood of noah right that they were saved through the flood this water uh is symbolized here by baptism Right, um, and that not the, he says baptism that now saves you, but then he almost backtracks. If you notice what he's doing, he wants us to, to not think that baptism itself is saving us. Right, that baptism doesn't doesn't save. He says not the removal of dirt from the body is not the ritual, if you will, that saves us, um, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. And so what he's showing us is there is a particular attitude that accompanies baptism. And that attitude leads to our salvation. That baptism itself does not save. So if you're new to the church or have never been baptized... Uh, what, what, when we come to belief in Jesus Christ, there are scriptures that say, believe and be baptized, right? That you come to belief that Jesus actually lived as a human being, that he walked on this earth, right? That he did not sin, that he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross, that he was buried, that he rose three days uh, uh, from the grave, uh, that he appeared to people who were alive at that time, and that he's interceding on our behalf in heaven right that he's talking to God on our behalf in heaven working out things in our lives that we could never even know that he's working out when we come to belief in that story right when we come to belief that God did that through Jesus Christ the Bible says be baptized and baptism is really the dunking of someone underwater and bringing them back up It symbolizes this watery grave, if you will, right? It's like um, this symbol symbol, symbolizes being buried, being dying, being dying. It symbolizes dying with Christ, right? When we were baptized, we've now died with Christ and we're raised to this new life. And so um, you might hear the phrase being born again or you're a new creation in, in Christ. After we're baptized, we are made new in the sense that we are really set free from sin. And so the sins and the struggles that plagued our past were now set free from those and we begin living differently and walking into this newness of life. And what Peter wants us to see is that baptism, the process of dunking someone underwater, does nothing to save the person. Rather, it's the attitude towards God that brings salvation. And we see this attitude in Jesus Christ where it says there in verse um, 21, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience, the right attitude towards God. It's pledge of a clear conscience. It's a very difficult passage uh, to understand in the Bible. In fact, if you look at different translations, they translate it somewhat differently. But, but here's what he's saying. He's saying that we're pledging, we're responding to God with a wholehearted commitment, right? That our minds are clear, that we're not halfway in, halfway out, right? But that we're responding to God out of this wholehearted commitment to God and what he has done. There's this seriousness of faith that Peter's calling the church to have. And that's one that responds to God and doesn't make light of the way of God. So if you look even in First Peter chapter 4, he says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in the body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because the one, uh, whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. He's not saying, all right, so there comes a day um, that sin is gone in your life. But he's saying, if you have this wholehearted commitment to the way of the Lord, That you are every day actively making war against sin. That you're making war against sin. And as you make war against sin by the power of God, you will actively defeat it. And you will live more like Christ in your actual life. You see, Peter wants the church to see that as we're baptized in the water, just like the water in Noah's day, that there's something in the water that saves us, and that's God himself, that God is saving us, and he's turning our hearts toward himself, and he's doing something mighty and powerful. And so there's a couple of questions, I think, that come out of this passage for the church that's listening to it, Uh, uh, whether it's the first century church or it's the church today. And the first thing is this, right? Um... Have I been baptized? Right? Have I been baptized? Whenever we read passages like this in Scripture that are talking about baptism and what God has done, we got to ask that question of of ourselves. Have I been baptized? And and then there's some follow-ups, of course, right? There's almost like this conversation, this dialogue, if you will, that we have with ourselves, and that's why or why not? Why why am I resisting baptism? What is hindering me from giving God a wholehearted, commitment but also this question is so important let's say your answer is yes don't turn me off right now don't go oh i've been baptized this isn't for me right Um, there's this very real sense where we're called in the christian life to remember the scenario in the events surrounding our baptism to reflect on that decision that we made one day to make a wholehearted commitment to god And to begin begin to ask ourselves the question, I, I don't know whether it needs to happen weekly, daily, monthly, right? Ask yourself this question, is my commitment the same as it once was, right? Is my commitment the same as it once was to the way of the Lord? Because here's the thing, right? So often we're baptized and we're on fire for the Lord when we're baptized. We're excited about our faith and what God is doing up doing in our lives. And all of a sudden, life sneaks up on us, right? Whether it's hardship, whether it's struggle, whether it's a relationship, there are things in this life that begin to tug at us and draw us away from the way of the Lord. And so this question isn't just, Have I been baptized, but how am I doing, right, living as a baptized person, right? So, um, Peter is challenging the church to reflect on that. Like, if you've been baptized, right, chapter four, therefore, flowing right out of that baptism, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, since whoever suffers in the body is done with sin, So reaffirm this, I am willing to feel discomfort and isolation, to suffer because of my faith so that I can actively defeat sin in my life. That's the calling of the Christian life. This is sanctification. We have to be making progress in our life. We have to be taking sin and doing wrong seriously. The Bible says we are lights. And here's the deal. People are going to see us whether we want them to or not. And people are going to know how we live whether we want them to or not. And God has placed this weight, this responsibility upon the church to be working towards doing what is right so that we can have a godly influence, a godly impact in this world and make a massive difference, right? All of us, not just um, those who, uh, who are not just certain people or special people or people that stand on a stage, but all of us have been called to make a massive impact in the world by the way we live our lives. And what seem to be minuscule decisions, small decisions, sometimes always will eventually hinder us from making a massive impact in this world by the way that we live our lives. And so Peter is challenging the church, if you've been baptized, if you've died with Christ, and you're living your new life, really be living a new life. And it challenges us to ask, am I living a new life? Do I today need to recommit to the way of the Lord? Second thing I think that the church wrestling with this passage or studying this passage has to ask is that, that is, am I actively living into my baptism Every single day, am I actively living into my baptism every single day? See, well, I was baptized. um, I don't don't remember exactly how old I was. I was, I was probably eight or nine. I was young. My church had a um, kind of like a little class that we went through, and somebody explained baptism to me, and and uh, had been in Sunday school and those kinds of things. And I um, I made a decision um, to follow Jesus Christ, and I was I was baptized into Jesus and into his way. And the church gave me a Bible. I still have that Bible, old King James version of the Bible that uh, I had it out the other day. It has pictures all in it that I drew when I was a kid. Um, probably some girls' names that I had crushes on when I was <laughs> in Sunday school class or something like that. Um, and I still have that Bible, I really do. And, uh, and I was baptized into the Lord And at that point, it seemed like an easy thing to do. I had seen friends do it. I had seen adults do it. It was fairly common at my church. I liked water, you know. (laughs) Any time to do something that felt like swimming or in the heat at Baptistry, like being in the jacuzzi, I was all for that. Um, It felt like an easy thing to do. But here's the deal. There is no way of knowing, and it doesn't matter at what age you're baptized, whether you're baptized at 8 or 88, right? It doesn't matter when you're baptized. There is no way, there is no way of knowing the challenges, the temptation that is on the horizon. There is absolutely no way of doing that. But when we choose to follow Jesus Christ, What we're doing is we're saying, with the knowledge that I have right now, with my best knowledge, given the challenges that I've faced right now, I am making a commitment to follow Jesus through what I'm facing right now and through what's on the horizon. Not knowing, not seeing, simply trusting that the way of the Lord is right from me and then those challenges come and you're like hold on I didn't sign up for this right <laughs> you know at first time I mean if you are baptized as a kid the first time you hit puberty and it's like I didn't, I didn't know this I didn't I didn't sign up for this this wasn't what I signed up for when I was eight can we uh can we wait till I'm a little older and then redo on this one um but here's the deal so it gets challenging because we don't know what's on the horizon and what's coming and so the question am I actively living into my baptism every single day that question is as challenges come at me as temptation seems to weigh upon me as life situation gets chaotic am I still through that? making the decision every day to honor my baptism with that wholehearted commitment that I made to Jesus Christ? And that's a much harder question because when we're baptized, often we're feeling good, we're feeling right, we're on fire for the Lord, excited. But when that excitement begins to wane and life gets tough, the Bible's saying, hey, through those times, that same faith must, follow you through because the attitude that accompanies baptism is one of a wholehearted commitment to the way of the Lord that we made with a clear conscience saying, God, I am all in. And so my question for you today, just like Noah, and I imagine with the story of Noah, that when Noah began building the ark, when he began to obey God and follow God and he Found this big field that he would have had to build that ark in and his neighbors and friends came to him and began to laugh at him and say what are you doing Noah? i mean like what what is all this about like why are you working so hard you're supposed to be enjoying your retirement noah right you're supposed to be sitting back watching um whatever sports noah right you're not supposed to be building this ark you're not supposed to be using your energy for that noah but Noah was all in. He trusted the Lord. He did what seemed foolish. And baptism is challenging us to ask ourselves that same question. Am I all in today? Right? Am I willing to look foolish for what is right? Am I willing to press into discomfort to do the right thing? And only you can answer that, that question. And so this morning, I guess my, my challenge for you is this, right? Remember your baptism, right? If you've been baptized, remember it and ask yourself that question, am I still all in? But two, if you haven't been baptized, right? If, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ and you've never made a decision to walk with him through life, Right? Um, after service, I'll be back here by the next steps table. We'll have a couple other people back here by the next steps table. Make today the day that you begin that conversation to make Jesus Lord of your life so that you can be baptized into him so that you can begin that newness of life so that you can experience his salvation like Noah and his family. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks this morning that you give us this opportunity to uh, gather in this place and to study the, both Noah, a story from the Old Testament, and how you called him into the ark of his salvation. And God, we thank you for Jesus, the one who is the ark of our salvation. God, we're thankful that you call us into him to live in his ways, to follow in his footsteps. God, we're thankful for that. And God, we're thankful for baptism, which is a sign for us. It's a sign for us that points back to Noah and reminds us that today you're still in the saving business. And so, God, we're thankful that we get to live in Jesus, the ark of our salvation, fully confident. That we are, in this life, in this world, being saved by the power of Jesus Christ that conquered death, the grave, and sin. That we are now free. And Lord, please help us to live into that freedom. It's in your son Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, let's continue worshiping.